Yeah, hi, it's Brett here. Welcome back. And this week, got a great guest on. And look, I draw upon uh, the radio show that my wife and I are doing again this week. And the reason for that, you may have noticed I've been doing that a bit lately, is that we're getting some really fantastic guests coming onto the show, which I think are very relevant to the audience here on the Leadership Sensei Radio. Now, this week's guest is Mr. Tim Canolan. Now, he's the founder and CEO of TLC for Kids. Now, he's taken his passion of helping people and turned it into something bigger. And many years ago, in fact, TLC for Kids, the foundation, had its 20th anniversary this year. And in that time, Tim and his foundation have been able to help 6 million six kids. You know, that's right, you heard me right, 6 million six, sick kids. And it's just a fascinating story about how he's gone from a startup because he, he saw a bit of a gap in, in the help and the care needed for these kids. And that's just grown because no other charity, even the big charities, were prepared to fill that gap. And he's just taken this passion of his for helping other people and seeing you know, the benefits of having a charity in place that will help people at a time of need. So sit back and enjoy it. Now I do apologize up front, there's a few technical issues with the sound at the very start. Uh, once we got that deck sorted out, um, there was probably a minute or two where the sound is very quiet and Tim comes through very faint. So I do apologize for that. Once that's sorted out though, it comes through quite good. So I know you're gonna enjoy this one. Motivational work, but along this time as well, I started doing DJing work in 1987. And when I was doing the motivational work with my brother, we were invited to go along to a camp that was working with cancer kids. And that was the first experience that I had with anybody that was working, oh, that was, um, that was actually sick. I've been very blessed, uh, yeah. very healthy family, healthy friends. Yeah. And uh, the kids wanted to learn how to stay positive and we did goal setting and positive thinking. And, and it was fascinating to see that the, the interest uh, in staying positive was something that they truly loved, but I got so much out of that. So uh, I suppose that was my big inspiration to look at, well, yes, I, I enjoy the DJing work and like doing the motivational work, but when I found out that I could make a difference in the lives of sick kids, that felt right to me. So I would think I was about 20, well, it might have been 21, 22, um, when I had that aha moment to think, well, this is a path that I have to go on and I'll use my skills, resources and whatever I've learned to try and fulfil that. Yeah, that absolutely was, amazing. Think. Yeah. Now, you've been with TLC, Tender Loving Care, for 20 years. You're celebrating 20 years in June this year, didn't you? Yeah. So, and that's actually, it's quite surreal to think why we started this, which was literally to encourage other charities to do more. Um, and that's where, because I met uh, my partner, Anna, so that's our executive manager, Anna Garris. And uh, that was back in 1998. And I I was under the impression that all kids were covered and they, you know, there wasn't a need for another charity. And children were receiving the support that they needed. But unfortunately, it was based on their illness and their support groups. 
So, so many kids were falling through the gaps. How does that work? I was, well, honestly, I was, I was knocked off my feet because Anna used to work uh, at the Children's Hospital in the PR department. And when I met her, and I had a chat about, you know, well, I had a bit of a focus on trying to help um, sick kids. And I still worked with my brother down at Geelong. And um, she was saying that, well, a lot of charities that were coming through the hospital were there for kids with specific illnesses, but there were a whole lot of lists and criteria that the kids had to meet to receive support. And I just didn't understand, because I was certainly under the impression that all kids were covered. So finding this out, and again, and I really want to emphasise this, I didn't want to start a charity for the sake of it. Um, So we spoke to doctors and nurses and social workers and uh, a lot of hospital staff to work out what was missing. And the advice was to, to have a charity that would work with any child uh, with any illness or health condition, not have a waiting list, uh, and have a very fast turnaround time for supporting kids. And I thought that a pretty easy list of criteria to meet. So the idea behind TLC for Kids was to start this up to encourage other charities just to do a little bit more. Fantastic. Um, we honestly thought it would last maybe one or two years because... You know, I suppose being a little bit naive and, and having faith in everything else, we thought people would start doing more. But other charities started referring kids to us, which put a lot of pressure on what we're doing. So it was completely unintentional, but we came, we became a critical part of healthcare in the country purely by accident. Most definitely. Now, um, you have helped over 6 million sick children. What mm. what type of symptoms, diseases do you actually see? What is the primary work that you actually do? Can you explain uh, that well, to people listening? Yeah, it's primarily distraction work for kids. So we do everything from uh, paying for medical expenses, um, utility bills or helping out with respite care. Um, sadly, sometimes even helping with bereavement costs or funeral costs. But it also might be just a day out for a family to have a bit of a break from what's going on in the hospital right down to distracting kids during procedures or examinations. It's so important. So got, um, oh, it really is. And that's, you know, nobody ever wants to go to a hospital. It's, no. You know, it's never on anybody's top ten list of destinations. <laughs> but if you have to go there, uh, and I think too, if you're a child, it, it can be pretty scary and daunting. Oh, most definitely. So by having this distraction and delivered at the right time, we're actually helping these kids through these uh, procedures and, and the stressful situation they're in. So if they have to go back to hospital for any reason, at least they'll have a better memory. Um, it be, might be memory of something that's fun or engaging, or it won't be as scary. And that's our the primary goal. So I suppose just to clarify too, all of our services are used only by healthcare professionals. So they identify the need of the children and then either use our distraction boxes to distract the kids during a procedure or they refer the family directly to us to help out with something more critical. Yeah, look, I know we've had our own experience with Distraction Box. I know that uh, when our little Angelique dropped into the wombat cage um, <laughs> and she got a little lump on her on her forehead, we went to the hospital, which we're never there, but uh, in this particular moment, and they brought out the uh, colouring books and the uh, pencils that were donated by you. Oh, the Distraction Box, yeah. yeah. Again, horrible situation that you had to go through and be at hospital, but uh, lovely to know that you know you had that support. And again, when it was needed. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. It, it was great to see. It was from um, you know from you also. Fantastic. You have yeah. also said it's not about the size of the gift. It's about letting people know that you care 
and and that you're there for them when they need it most? Oh, and again, it comes down to the old. I suppose if you think of children, if they fall over and they bump their knee, or you know, and they could potentially go into a bit of a uh, you know, a hissy fit, or you know, really lose a plot. But if you can distract them at that, that critical time, go, oh, you know, is the ground okay? You know, and you make a bit of a, lot, a joke about it, or distract them, then you take away that the, the potential of something bad or something um, escalating out of control. And the idea behind the distraction that we're doing is not, it, it's, as you said, it's not about the size; it's literally about the timing of what you do. And if for example, even if we're paying for a, a utility bill to keep the lights on at home for a family. Yeah. But what, while they're in hospital, and we get that bill paid, the fastest request we've been able to fulfill is taking um, about seven minutes, which is having the request come in, uh, we've received the bill, we've had a chat with a healthcare professional, we've paid the bill online, and then that healthcare professional's gone back to the family, so you guys can go home now, that bill's taken care of, and it's one less thing they have to worry about. Yeah. That's the critical thing. And these people falling through the net, um, they weren't as sick as, as requested, or how did they fall through the net? Well, if as it works out, some, some charities have a, a criteria that if a child's had a, a specific request fulfilled by one organisation, they may not be eligible for support okay. from another. Um, or if they've been uh, quite sick when they're younger, so they might be three or four years old and they have some support, and then you know, however their health uh, either continues to either deteriorate or they might mm. get a little bit better, and then you know, it might be a few years later that they're back in hospital and they might need some other support. Um, some charities actually have a condition where well, if they've helped you once, they can't help you again. Wow. And I understand why organisations are set up, because they have to have you know, this finite funds. Um, but I think for us, we look at those families that, well, sometimes they don't have options. And if they don't have a strong support base around them, they need someone to turn to. So mm-hmm. by having small small uh, signs and small actions of support and relief given to these families when they need it, it's really helped make a huge difference. And we always call it a hand up. So it's not a hand out for yeah, parents. Great, nobody, nobody wants to feel no. like a charity case. No. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just, uh, it's been incredible. Yeah, g'day, Tim Brett here. How you going, mate? Brett, how are you? Thank yeah. you very much for having me on the show. You know what? Thanks for coming along. Hey, look, doing the research um, over the last week or so about looking for you coming onto the show and obviously hearing a lot about you from Cat over the years and uh, obviously seeing the work that you've done at the hospital when Angelique did go in there, we you know, got to experience firsthand. You know, one of the things that I have seen is that even though TLC has grown as an organisation, your impact and your touch is still quite intimate. It's really right the cold face, right there when someone needs it, as opposed to, like you said, some of the other organisations, as they grow, they grow in bureaucracy, and it can actually take quite a period of time before families or the children can get the help. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. And that's actually, that's interesting, because we've yeah. been really focused on making sure that the, the delivery is, even faster. Each year, we try and get faster and faster with the delivery to make sure that that is given to the families um, when they need it. And because there's a population increase, there's always mm. more kids going to the hospital system. So we're always on our toes. But I really appreciate you pointing that out because it's, I suppose sometimes you know we you don't see the forest for the trees. We don't realise yeah. what we are doing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Quite intimate. It's fantastic. 
makes it mm. so much easier for, for the um, parents who are already distressed. Now, throughout the year, you also run special projects um, such as Tracky Jack Day for fundraising. Uh, explain yeah. that. Uh, Tracky Jack Day was actually the brainchild of Anna, um, again, from her experience when she was working at the hospital. Right. Because hospital staff encourage kids to get out of their pyjamas and wear their tracky bags yeah. or something casual, yeah. which helps change the state of their mental health. So the idea behind tracky bag day is so people can walk in the shoes of the kids that are in hospital for a day. And we all know it. As soon as you get home, you, you know, you don't put on something uncomfortable or a new suit. You normally put on either a pair of trackies or, or you lounge around clothes. And we thought well, this would be a nice way to get people to feel good, change their state of mental health. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, and it's quite interesting how many people on radio wear tracksuit pants. <laughs> um, no, not today, but yes. Not today. But not you're right, today. it's an Australian secret. We all get home, we do put our tracky jacks on. You're right, and we feel very Absolutely. comfortable. Absolutely I've right. I've got a pair in the car. <laughs> in the car. <laughs> break glass in case of an emergency pair of tracking <laughs> Just in case you're travelling around and you need to get comfortable very quickly. <laughs> so well, what other fundraiser days do you come up with? I know you've got the gala balls. Yeah, we've been doing the ball um, for a while. We've got a couple of golf days that we run and we do a lot of um, regular giving and workplace giving programs, which we've found a really easy way for people to give. Because we're all time poor, and I think this is becoming more and more um, obvious that, you know, with social media, with, you know, even the jobs, when you, you're travelling to work, you find your downtime's getting less and less. Mm. And sometimes it's hard for people to either donate their time or volunteer to a charity or get engaged. And we've found through workplace giving and regular giving, if people say, look, you know, I can afford 50 cents a week, for example, it comes out of their pay, they don't see it, but it makes a huge difference for us because it means that, well, that money's going directly to services, um, but the effort involved with that from that person is far less, which means when something does come up, like a track that day campaign or something fun, they don't feel that they're burnt out. It's been a really interesting journey that we've found uh, great ways to fundraise and some tricky ways that we've fundraised, which... Yeah, again, people feel they're taking up too much time. They might only do it once and then they won't give again. No. Uh, or they you know, they try different things. So it's a very interesting game that we're in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd, and that's... Yeah, I'd imagine that you'd be competing with a very large market too because it seems like every day there's a new charity um, either ringing on the phone or, you know, trying to get your attention at the supermarket or, um, you know, coming up on TV. So... How do you actually get your message out there and get in, in the minds of people to get those funds to help these kids? Uh, the, the, the easiest answer to that is very difficultly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's um, well, yeah. a, a couple of quick stats for you. There's 600,000 organisations in the country. Wow. In Australia. See, I, I knew there was a lot. I didn't think it was that many. So 600,000 yeah. is just enormous, isn't it? It is huge. And out of the 600,000 organisations, we've got about 53,000 charities that have um, a deductible gift recipient status, which means if you make a donation, you get a tax deduction. Tax yeah. So from the 53,000 charities that are out there fundraising, 600,000 organisations that are looking for support as well, yeah. um, on top of people doing crowdfunding campaigns uh, for either a holiday or renovation, or even if it's not charity-based, Mm. There's a lot of people asking for a lot of things 
every day, um, even through the ACNC, which is now the governing body of Australia, uh, charities in Australia. Um, I think it was 18 months ago, it looked at about 1,300 charities per year were being registered. So, oh, yeah. That's those 1,300 yeah. new charities. Yeah, new charities. Amazing. And look, I, I get the passion that people have, and I, I absolutely applaud them for having a go and um, looking out there and trying to set up a legacy for a friend or a family member. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, but it's also very important for people to look at what resources they have. And if they, they do want to create a legacy for a loved one, uh, sometimes it's nice to actually talk to a charity that might be doing similar work and see if they might be able to you know, either create or adapt a program that would include um, you know, the, the name of a loved one, which is obviously it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, but a lot of the work that we do is educational as well. So we're teaching people how to look for the best ways they can give back to a charity. And if they do have to start a charity because no one else is doing that work, then, you know, again, I'll, I'll fully back what they're doing because we'll just yeah. go out there and fix a problem. Because all charities should be there to fix a problem, not be a charity for the sake of a charity. Yeah, and earlier, Tim, you mentioned that, you know, initially you set this up really just to, uh, I guess, fill a gap and help other charities or bring other charities' attention to, to the issue. And so you've, you've stood it up and realised that other charities are now sending people to you. Did you... Was there a time when you felt some pushback or, or resistance from other charities saying, hey, who's this new charity in, in mm -hmm. our market? Yeah. But also then how did you navigate going from going, well, this is just something we're going to do short term to now being actually helping people, helping over 6 million kids for over 20 years? Because that's a significant mind shift and it's a different business model from just doing it as a startup to helping people for a short mm -hmm. period of time to running a 20-year business and, sustainable. and, and yeah. growing. Yeah, it has been extremely challenging and we've found there have been a few of the, the larger organisations that have seen us, unfortunately, as a little bit of a threat um, mm. because we, you know, we're coming in and we're certainly not stepping on anyone's toes and we work with any charity, um, but I think some organisations are set up differently how we're set up yeah. and they felt a little bit threatened, in, in which we've had conversations with them many times to let them know that we, we're not taking away anything from their services. If anything, we're complementing their services because we can be that little stopgap to assist the family while they're on a waiting list yeah. to get support from another organisation. So we, we've tried to find a niche um, to make sure that we, we're just completely complementing the charitable sector. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of competition. I, I think it should be co-opetition because yes. yeah. all charities can work yeah. together. Absolutely. Um, and that, that the mind shift from us thinking that it was just a short-term thing into uh, a long-term strategy and that the business plan had completely changed, but the focus that we've got is still eventually to become redundant. Because if, if we don't exist, if there's no need for TLC for kids, yeah. that means that kids going to hospital are looked after or they're not stressed. And it's gone back to the old family values I think, as, as I touched on before, that we're you know we're under a lot of pressure. Um, but being in a society that is the most connected we've ever been in our history, but it's also the most disconnected. Disconnected, yeah. Mm, yeah. It's amazing. And we we'd love it if it went back to the old you know the the, the old school days where your neighbour used to mow your lawn if you were crook, or they'd go shopping for you or pick up the oh, kids from that's school. Beautiful. And yeah. everyone just lends a hand. Mm. And that's that's where we we'd love to be. But I, I think we're we're a little way off that at the moment. 
Can I just mention, um, just straight from your website or TLC for Kids, that's your webpage or your Facebook page, I'll just mention what you actually do for, for the community, this week's rapid recap. So I'm seeing a massage for mum whose body is under stress for, from caring for her immobile son. You've got toys and bedding for the hospital room of a boy who is paraplegic following a car accident. There's shopping vouchers for a teenage girl who is hospitalised a long way from, from home. There's specific supportive high chair for a young girl with specialised developmental and physical needs and even a collection of clothes for a girl who has been in hospital for so long that she has outgrown her clothes. Just absolutely amazing gap that you're picking up there. Absolutely amazing. And that's just from a week's rapid recap. Yeah, it, it, it's actually, it, it blows us away and we've said to all of our, our team, no two days are going to be the same. Because we're a reactive and live organisation, uh, we can't predict what requests are going to be coming in. Um, but the, the main thing we have to do is make sure that we're there and just be ready to deal with some very tricky situations sometimes, but also be quite creative to think, well, what, what's, number one, going to help out that child? What's going to help out the siblings of that child? And what's going to help out that family of that child? So the, the child's really the catalyst. But our support's always based around the, the whole family unit, see what, what and when we can do it. Um, but the beautiful thing is, and this is something that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we've been able to do and create and stand by and literally not change in 20 years, that healthcare professionals actually tell us when they need the request fulfilled. Yeah. So, for example, it might be a child that's coming in for an operation in a couple of weeks' time, so we'll have a care package waiting for them so when they get to the hospital, it's already there. Aww. Or it might be something as critical as, as I said before, we have to pay for something out of the phone. So yeah. it, it keeps us on our toes. Um, and I think being so flexible with, number one, the requests we fulfil, but also the type of uh, children that we support, it's, it, it just makes their job... It's quite funny because it actually makes their job easier because we don't have to compartmentalise or put kids in boxes. We know what would we do if we were in their shoes, what would we like if we were in their shoes, and what do the hospital staff need to support that family through their journey. You must have a very flexible team, Tim, because I'd imagine from a business perspective being so reactive and like listening to that list that Kat just read out, like there is nothing predictive about that. No. Um, and, and, and when you're so reactive, it's very hard to plan and prioritise where your funding is to go and how often it goes out. and and just planning the, the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, or even the next quarter of your, of your business. Because ultimately, you know, even though you're a charity, you, you do need to get the right funds to the right people at the right time. Let me read just a few more. Um, funeral payment support for the family of a young girl who died unexpectedly. Footy tickets for a young man from the Northern Territory who is interstate for treatment. Um, a collection of toys for a hospitalised boy whose mother is homeless and so can't spare any money to keep him distracted during his recovery. We've got help with school fees for a single mother whose three children all have special needs. Even a, a, a hair washing tray for a young girl with a port in her chest as a port cannot get wet. So these are, are just different weeks I'm looking at. So it, it's never the same. You've got, you know, uh, heaters for family. You've got music therapy sessions for a young boy with rare complex syndromes. Absolutely amazing what you do for people. Absolutely oh, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I think the... To hear about these requests that are needed, um, it's really eye-opening that, you know, here we are in a very, very lucky country. Um, But all these families, again, are still falling through those gaps. They just need that little bit of extra support. 
But when you hear the examples, these are the type of things that most families, luckily enough, um, well, they get those things. Mm. You have you get enough money to pay your school fees, or you can pay for your car registration. Um, you have income, and it, even if it's not a, um, a, a, I suppose, a very large income, but most families are lucky enough to have you know, food on the table, you know, roof over their head, and you, you get your pay bills or you go out for an outing. Um, but as soon as you introduce the, the an illness into a family or a sudden illness. Mm. Um, their lives completely change. They do. And I think none of us really, you, you don't know what you know until it happens. True. And I've, I've often said to many of the families, you know, I don't know where you get your strength from, but they'll just say, in every family, the, the response is the same. It's said, well, you just do it because you don't have an option. Mm. And when they, you know, they come back with that sort of feedback, we think, well, we have to be that organisation. We just do it because there is no other option. And it gives us a good lot of strength. But as you said, Brett, too, I'm, I'm so proud of the team and our board of directors and oh, all of our supporters because we can't do this alone. No. But we've just been able to gather an amazing movement of incredible people that have passion, drive, and they just get it. We just yeah. need to help more kids. And that's yeah. actually hard to do, to build a team that actually get it and are passionate continually yeah. about what you do. Because I'd imagine... Some of the days would be really tough days. Like some, just, of the, some of these stories would be heartbreaking to hear. I was going to say, Tim, how do you build up that emotional resistance to what you see day to day? Uh, I think the skin gets just a little bit thicker. Yeah. Um, it would be easier if we were dealing with you know, little nuts and bolts and car parts or furniture because, you know, yes, it can be, you can get passionate about that sort of stuff, but it's not the emotional baggage that you have to mm. Something's not quite right, and because he's a family, yeah, um, it really helps us. We always talk about any cases that are really difficult. Uh, we've got some great, I suppose, feedback and uh, sounding boards that we have with the team. Uh, we always make sure that our mental well-being is looked after. Even today, actually, was, um, we had a, a mindfulness coach come oh, in and um, do a little bit of work with the whole team as a group. Yeah just to sort of, you know, help us be a little bit more grounded. But Cathartic emotions, it, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we have to be, because we have to be on and really focused for so many people. Um, a little while ago, one of our supporters uh, said, because now there's eight members in our team, so we're Fantastic. a very small team. And we're managing 405 hospitals that we you know, provide services to in Australia. And that's and in Australia, not just Victoria. Yeah, that's, that's around Australia-wide, nationwide. Got, uh, four hospitals in New Zealand that we're working with yeah. now as well. Fantastic. Congratulations. And thank you. Yeah, we're, we're just thrilled with it. But the, the thing that really became quite daunting is that having eight people in the team and managing over 400 hospitals, that's a responsibility of 50 hospitals per team member wow. to make sure that you know they're happy with their services. So I can understand sometimes just to feel like we're a little bit under the pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, <Are> constantly, <laughs> yeah. Just constantly, but again, we've we've stripped back all the services and how they're accessed. Make sure it's really simple for the team to be able right. to manage requests that are coming in. Everything's uh, accessed online through secure portals, um, just to make sure that easy for hospital staff to access our service, but also so we can manage the time and the influx of requests when they come in. Right. Mm. All right, let's get to know Tim a little bit more. So last week, 
you and Anna had the honour of meeting the Duke and Duchess of Success. Sussex. 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 <laughs> sorry. What am I doing? You can tell who the royals are on the road. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm sorry. Who are they? Where they live? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit like that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, celebrity doesn't phase me. Sorry. Sorry. Um, no, beautiful <laughs> couple that just got married. Yeah. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was beyond surreal. Um, so what did you yeah, talk to him about? Uh, first of all, we, we congratulated them both on what they've been doing and congratulated, uh, congratulated them on their new arrival um, that's pending. Um, and then they said, oh, that's great, thank you, but what do you do? You know, tell us about you and, and what you're here for. And the Governor-General actually invited us uh, invited us up to have a chat with them. That's beautiful. And they, after that TLC, they took great interest in our work, which was fantastic. So it was a real privilege, beyond an honour, um, to be there. And it was, it was a closed, um, so it was Admir Admiralty House in Sydney. Yep, so it was a, a closed, uh, small reception, just to have the opportunity to meet them. And um, they're really nice people, just so down to earth. They do, they seem that way, I've got to yeah. say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was, I was blown away. They're just, bringing uh, in a touch of class to, to the royals, yeah. <laughs> It really, but it's it's reinvigorated a new, new line has. of um, interest and support and excitement about the world. So yeah, I was just I was still thinking in that we were actually there, <laughs> and just seeing they had seventy seven appointments that they had to do. That's amazing. While they were here, or while they're still here, so that's a lot, isn't it? It is an extreme amount of pressure on them, yeah. and to be so engaged and, and keep up that, that interest in what people are saying. Actually, I'm looking at the photo now um, on your website on TLC for Kids, and he looks very engaged with you, Prince Harry. He's looking at you, and and he's quite. Um, what can I say? Um, he's quite engaged with your conversation. He's present. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's absolutely. quite present. Yeah. yeah, eye contact the whole time. He wasn't looking around. Leaning in, leaning in, looking straight no. at you, what you've got to say. Very interested in what you've got to say. Yeah, and then Anna gave him the, uh, the death, almost the death grip and she shook his hand. <laughs> she wouldn't <laughs> let go. <laughs> we can't let you go, Harry. We can't let you go. <laughs> so it was a real thrill, though. But yeah, I just said, it's just an honour. Yeah, she it's looks quite beautiful, honor. too. Yeah, oh, she's, she's my rock. Yeah. And uh, couldn't do this without her at all. So yeah, fantastic. So it's quite often lucky it's gone the same at home. Great. Um, now, I also noticed that, uh, just talking a bit personally, so what did it feel like to go back to your old primary school as a principal for the day? Was oh, that great, to go back to your childhood? It really was. They, they pulled down, unfortunately, about, uh, maybe a quarter of the schools left because they've got new buildings that just built. Um, but the old gymnasium there, the old library was there. And it was such um, such a step back in time. I think, wow, this is where I grew up. And now I come back and I, I was joking with you, Pip, so I'm going to suspend all these kids, you know. Now <laughs> but then I thought back, hang on, I didn't get suspended. I'm, I was probably one of the naughtiest kids at school. Um, it was beautiful. <laughs> I can see really, that. <laughs> I, well, yes, I, was, uh, I, I actually mentioned a few times that, uh, the, the word class clown appeared on my school report. Is that because of all that passion. energy you had, all that passion and all that energy that you're always exuding? Yeah. Thank you. I'll go with that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was great. And I'd, actually, I'd recommend it. Anybody can sign up to be principal for a day. Um, they've oh, been around for 18 years. Oh, that's program. fantastic. Oh, it's, it's an actual yeah, program. 
yeah, it's an actual program. So they, they called up and asked if I wanted to be involved with it and said yes in a heartbeat. And I got to go back to my primary school. So, right. yeah, but it's beautiful though. Really nice to see the inside, the runnings of the school. Um, saw the inside of the school, uh, you know, the, the, I suppose the teachers' workshops and, um, you know, the classrooms and hung out with the kids. And it was really eye opening, but beautiful. So, I really, yeah, encourage anybody that has the opportunity to do it for sure to do it. And did you find, I guess, going back to the primary school, help connect? in some way with some of the things that you see with the, the kids in the hospitals as well? Were you able to transfer some of those learnings across from what you see in the hospitals back into the, for the teachers and give them feedback? And so maybe from an education perspective, those teachers can then go, well, if we've all got kids who are sick in my class, what, what can we do to help them continue their Absolutely. education? Because sometimes yeah, it's, they're, they're long-term sick, yeah. aren't they? Like, like, as I said before, like some of these kids are staying that long in hospital, they're growing out of their clothes. Like, it's not like they're in for a day. Oh, no. Sometimes they're, they're months. No, and these are really, they're really uh, specific cases and really um, careful things for people to consider. But that was actually something we did talk about. And there were quite a few teachers' aides yeah. in the school, but that was something we did um, discuss about, you know, distracting kids at the right time, teaching kids how to cope with some of the potential stresses if they have to go to hospital. Yeah. Uh, but the teachers were all over it, which is a, a great thing yeah, to see. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, so it was, it was nice it was, and quite easy to bring back what we're doing for the kids in hospital to those kids to think, well, at least we're there for a service to support them. If they ever have to go in the hospital, uh, at least that time will be better. It was, it, was nice, it was a really nice feeling. Yeah, it's not only the kids you have to look for, um, look out for, it's multifactorial, isn't it? Um, you've got the parents of medically complex kids that um, you're dealing with as well. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so what type of scenarios do you actually get involved with there? Uh, well, Again, it comes down to the healthcare professionals who identify okay. the need, and they do this through conversation as well. So they'll find out what the family's going through, what the parents are going through, yeah. and they'll work out, well, you know, the, the best thing for this family might be literally a massage for, for mum. Does, does the healthcare way. professional work that out? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, they, and they won't do it in a way to say to the family, what would you like us to get from or ask okay. from for kids? It'll purely be through conversational. Um, they'll look at the situation the family's in. They'll obviously have a chat with them about their past uh, and their current needs. And then they'll literally uh, be in contact with us. And then they might suggest two or three things. Um, and then we'll also buy in. So well, why don't we do this for the family? This might be really nice. Because of past experience and other families that we've helped, they're becoming, um, I suppose, quite in tune with what, really helps families. And it might not be, you know, the big flashy trip away. It might be something as simple as buying or helping a family to buy a new fridge because yeah. the fridge yeah. is broken down. Yeah. Because I think for many people, like, like you said before, Australia is a very lucky country and many people are, are quite comfortable. I guess we have a very large middle class society. Uh, but there's a lot of ex there's a lot of external costs involved when your child is sick. So just simple things like paying for parking at a hospital is actually quite expensive on a daily rate. And if your child is in there for a long term, that is th those bills bills add up. And if they, especially if they're regional, if they come in, they have to find somewhere to stay. And so those bills add up very, very quickly, mm. don't they? They are. And they're the unseen bills. Yeah. This is, you know, even, even some, uh, a snack or some food for the family while they're in hospital and have to be there for weeks at a time. Yeah. It becomes a very expensive exercise. Uh, yeah, because food in hospital is quite expensive too. Yep. 
Absolutely. Look, the cafes, I know they try and keep their prices down as yeah. low as they can, but they're still an expense. Yeah. And um, we've, we've covered many families with their parking expenses and mm. local accommodation. So we've so tried beautiful. to find somewhere, somewhere close. So at least they can spend time. And there's been many cases, which is really sad, that we've had mums sleeping in their cars outside hospitals because they can't yeah. afford to drive oh, home yeah. Um, or or afford to um, have accommodation because it's so limited the accommodation in hospitals as well. It is, isn't it? And it's not getting any better. No. So it's, it, it's quite a complex situation. Um, and again, I think by having this fantastic relationship that we do have with healthcare professionals, they really, uh, I suppose, try and identify what's going to be the absolute best thing. And... Again, you go for the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Um, whatever's going to have the quickest impact and the, the highest impact in a short amount of time. And then we can look at long-term strategy and see if we can plug a family into another charity or look for other solutions. Amazing, yeah. You are so multi-talented. You know, like you really create environments for all children, very inclusive. So I've also noticed that you've got like a sensory box project for children with ASD and other sensory disorders as well. Yeah, which is really exciting. So we're almost finished our pilot program with that. This is the first time that we've, we've adapted one of our services for kids with a specific illness or a condition. Um, but we've found that the, the distraction box items that we have, 99% of the time, they're absolutely perfect for kids um, of all ages. But they have found some kids uh, that um, have uh, maybe on the spectrum or... Um, even uh, any sort of autism at all, some of the items that we've got in the distraction box might overstimulate them. So, so what type of things, uh, sorry, what type of things would you find in a distraction box? A normal distraction box would have like uh, glitter wands, um, yeah. which helps the kid calm down. Gorgeous. We've got fans, which are little windmills, which help kids blow out the pain, which mm. is a really nice way to engage the kid. Yeah, it is. Um, and of course, you know, things like bubble mixture, which is again, nice. They're nice, simple, um, fun things. But they mean so uh, much they, to kids. They do. They really do. And they bring back kids, you know, to when things are simpler. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So it's not electronic games or things that we use inside the boxes. But we use a lot of visual aids as well. We use as uh, a block. So if the child's having a procedure done from the neck down, then they can put a, a visual aid block in front of that so again it, it helps cut that message of pain coming back to the child mm, yeah. and um, engage them with a little bit of fun and before the kids know it they're through the procedure and mm. hopefully going home absolutely brilliant seriously absolutely brilliant the gap you're filling thank you and you come up with all these strategies in conjunctions with healthcare professionals or are these things that your team work on to come up with because just thinking about you know having a child with a like a a spinal block from the from the neck down, and and coming up with visual aids, or no, noting that you might have a child that's slightly on the spectrum, and some of the activities might overstimulate them. That must take a, a lot of thought and a lot of energy to come up with those ideas. Absolutely, and it's always in consultation with healthcare professionals. So every service we've we've created and developed and put into place, yeah. it's always been through uh, guidance, advice consultation and discussion with healthcare professionals um, and many times they've actually come to us and say, oh, you know what, this is missing from the hospital or this is missing or this was a service that we used to have yep. and now it's not available anymore. Because um, we'd, we'd rather be the charity that provides the things that are needed the most rather than saying, well, we think this might work, so let's have a go. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always addressing the need of what's required. Yeah, that's fantastic. That you can you can actually do that. And do you find, um, knowing that you only have eight people and over four hundred hospitals, how, how do you how do you get the message out to all the healthcare professionals across so many hospitals? Because like you talk about each each team member has about fifty hospitals, but there must be hundreds of doctors in each hospital. Uh, there are. We're actually quite lucky because, especially with abstraction boxes, we've targeted those areas in the hospitals. So it might be emergency departments, oncology, pathology, immunisation clinics. Yep. And there's usually one or two staff in that hospital that look after either one or two of those departments. Good, so yeah. we don't have to have uh, contact with you know, the hundred staff in the hospital. Mm. There uh, might be you know, it might be two, three, depending on obviously it depends on the size of the hospital. Yeah. But, but there might only be two or three hospital staff that we have to deal with that then relay to the other hospital staff if our services are required. Um, which again helps keep our the referral time and the response time a lot uh, lower because we're only dealing with the one or two people in each hospital or in each ward. So obviously some of the bigger hospitals, um, even Princess Margaret Hospital in Perth, there's 52, they've got 52 distraction boxes, wow. um, which is a lot of boxes being used, um, but there's four staff that we deal with over there. So okay. there's a lot of training and education that comes with our program, um, and that's part of I suppose, the, why they've become so successful, because being in contact with hospitals continually means that we've got our finger on the pulse, but they also keep us up to date with who's, you know, if somebody's leaving um, or if a new staff member started, then they'll be in contact with us and we'll see if they can become a referrer as well. Yeah. Now, listening to what you've been saying over the last 40 minutes or so, you, you strike me as someone who's got a pretty good handle across your performance stats and your numbers. <laughs> um, 400 odd hospitals seems like a lot, but I'm thinking that there's probably a lot more hospitals than that across Australia. How many hospitals are, are there actually across Australia and are you planning on trying to reach out to all of those? We are. Uh, there's probably another... We've estimated it's probably maybe 30 or 40 other hospitals that we aren't in at the moment um, nice. with our distraction boxes. But there's also a lot of the private clinics, then we've got medical centres um, and the private hospitals, of course. Mm. But we are in the process of... Um, reaching out to, and then they have an opportunity to actually subscribe to our Distraction Box program and yeah. uh, basically through that subscription we can provide that because all of our services are free for the public sector. Yeah, okay. Um, but in the, the private sector, basically those hospitals have the opportunity to subscribe to our service and once they do that, that means that we can actually put a Distraction Box in a private clinic and support a Distraction Box in the public uh, area as well. So. Uh, an opportunity for us to continually grow the service, but also assist with the fundraising towards the public sector that we're doing. Tim, you've had a lot of success over the last 20 years and you've grown your organisation. Has there been, do you, look, have you used mentors throughout that period to get advice from and to guide you through this whole process of starting a charity and then navigating, I guess, what essentially mindful, like you said before, you got 600,000 charities in Australia, how, how do you get through that? Have you, What mentors have you had through that time? I've actually had a number of mentors. Uh, so one was actually Head of Cardiology from the Rangnick Hospital, uh, Dr Peter Cass, which is um, an incredible man. He was actually uh, the chair of TLC for a while as well. And he actually taught me the, the rule and I suppose the tricks of 
responding rather than reacting. And that was, that was a really good lesson to learn, yeah. especially in the work that we're doing yeah. uh, and, and the work that he was doing. So he had to respond to every situation, but he had to respond in a very calculated way because if he made a mistake, they could you know, cost somebody their life. Yeah. And so he taught me that. I was, uh, he was my mentor for a couple of years. Uh, another mentor um, who was a GM uh, of one of the really big hotels, and uh, I was with him for about five years, and he pretty much taught me a lot of, uh, I suppose, staffing, uh, way how to, to, deal with, to deal with staff in sticky situations, but also negotiations for sponsorship, um, looking at the, I suppose, brand alignment for organisations as well, and trying to navigate through the non-profit sector. So that was that was a really amazing uh, mentorship that I had with Greg. Um, and again, I, I, I'm so grateful for the mentors that I have had. But we've also uh, sourced a lot of advice from other business leaders, other charity leaders as well. Uh, and the networks that we've got at the moment have been a really good sounding board for us to, I suppose, again, try and navigate through a very uh, difficult and um, it, it's quite a, a multi-levelled uh, industry because, as we were touching on before, there's a lot of competition in the non-profit sector. But there's also a lot of hoops and um, hoops you have to jump through, mm. regulation, uh, tax laws, um, legislation on fundraising laws, mm. the board of governance, um, the fiduciary responsibilities we all have as board members as well. There's a lot to learn. Uh, I'm also a member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, which has been a great resource as well yep. for some tips on, you know, again, going through tricky situations. But the main thing is actually being prepared for uh, what may come. And I think that's been the main thing I've also learned from my mentors. It's that preparation, the what-if scenario. So you make sure your services are right. You make sure you've got so many things in place to make sure that you've run as smooth as possible, but it's always in preparation for, well, what if this scenario happens tomorrow? Yeah, that's um, fantastic. Actually, I actually read that probably just at the end of last week, actually, I had a leader saying, you know, it's the responsibility of leaders to think about those what ifs and have a strategy around possible scenarios because when they eventuate and if they eventuate, like you said, you can actually respond as opposed to react. Yeah, and, and it's critical. It really is. Um, again, because we're, we're under so much pressure to be on and to you know reply to a text, reply to an email, yeah. pick up um, or, or give some feedback to someone, especially through social media. But it's very important to respond. Again, think about what you want to say. Mm. Um, some a, a great piece of advice I was given was to say, you know, think about something um, three times. <laughs> work out it, do it twice and then write it down once. Right, okay. okay so, Try yeah. that. Three, two, one. Nice, nice principle. Yeah, that, that is a fantastic. And well, that probably leads me into my next question. Is there a piece of advice, like what would be the best piece of advice that you received from one of your mentors over the years? Uh, to be honest, it is, it's responding. It's yeah. respond rather than react. It's, it's something I live by. I, I, I practice it every day. Uh, but that's been the, the one piece of advice that I've, I've shared and uh, given to a lot of people as well. But the other part that I've taken away, especially from my mentors, uh, and uh, especially with Anna, uh, which has been an incredible journey to date, is to have gratitude. 
charged environment isn't it i mean you know parents have got their children sick you know they don't know what's going to happen it could be terminally illness so it, it's very emotionally charged yeah and again by going back and because the natural thing would to be react to any news but the key thing that i've learned over my many years we'll see that i suppose even from the kids back in 1992 um but no children or families or even people need sympathy no. It's the last thing you want. If you can empathise with someone and you can talk them through a journey, and even if you haven't been through that journey in the past, if you show empathy to try and work out, well, what's going to get them through that, rather than saying, oh, you poor thing, um, because that really adds to the problems that they've got. Can you so explain that? A really big lesson. Can you explain the difference again that people are aware? So sympathy is like you, that's giving somebody... Uh, it's like feeling sorry for somebody. And that, that energy can come across quite heavily sometimes. It does. But if you show empathy to someone, that means you, you either understand what they're going through or if it's a situation where you haven't been in uh, the exact same situation they're in, at least you're going to try and work out a solution Great. to the yeah. situation they're in Great. and be complimentary to it. So right. it's a really, it's got, it's a hard lesson um, and it's something quite difficult to adapt because mm. as soon as you start applying empathy to everything you're doing and situations that you're in with people who are going through traumatic situations, uh, the, the, the difference is huge. And that response that they have mm. shows, that, well, honestly, they, they turn around and say, oh, that's nice because someone cares. Yeah. You're not saying, oh, you poor thing. No. They feel like you've got their back. And that, yeah. that can make a world of difference for anybody. You must have experienced some... Im- like immense personal growth going through this journey. Oh, I keep looking back for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it sort of blurs. Wow, what, you know, what was I doing 25 years ago? Where did yeah. that time go? Yeah. Um, even this year, we were honestly talking about um, Halloween last year. But, you know, we love it. We dress up the house and all these kids come in. But it was, <laughs> you know, all that innocence. Yeah. 
And um, it was just like yesterday. I was like, hang yeah, on, we've just, I've just lost 12 months. Yeah. We've done so much. So Halloween was yesterday, yeah. I know. It's just, it's crazy. Time goes fast. But I, I think uh, something that I have learned is time goes fast if you're enjoying what you do. That's yeah, fantastic. fantastic. And that's a great message for people to take on board too. So mm. you've talked about some of the programs you do and... What's coming up for TLC at the moment? Have you got a new program coming up? Have you got a new Fundraisers, fundraiser projects. or project coming up? Uh, we've got a big family fun day that we're doing with our kids and families in December. We've got uh, expansion, further expansion, as we touched on before, the sensory boxes. So yeah. they'll be coming out to other hospitals uh, probably in the new year. Um, and then there's another couple of programs that uh, are being warned a secrecy over at the moment. Okay. We'll be making a very big announcement in February oh, right. uh, next year, which okay. will be, we think it's actually going to be probably a, a bit of a game changer for TLC for kids because it's, it's, it'll put us on the map um, in uh, a different light, yep. but also open up our services to more than just the kids in hospital. So it's, it's pretty exciting times. Um, and then for our, uh, the, the fundraising side, we're really involved this year with... Uh, the a charity initiative from Tattersalls called Play for Purpose, yep. which was a fantastic, it's a raffle. Yes. Um, it was only $25 a ticket and $15 from each ticket sold goes to the charity. Oh, that's great. Uh, there are a number of charities that, that took part in the program, but it was one in 11 chance of winning a prize. Wow, that's And it was that's half, half a million dollars worth of prizes, so it was a really clever initiative it is. Uh, from them and they're launching the second round I think it's in the next couple of weeks that will start a bit of a campaign to encourage people to have a crack and even with our tickets we had 30 people bought um, winning tickets <laughs> through DLC for kids which was just it was amazing so that's yeah it's a really fun fun way to, for people to get involved and it's, it's a pretty good entry point um, level to you know, make a donation or, or, or buy a raffle ticket where you can potentially win something. Yeah. And having so much of that money comes back to the charity. That's amazing, yeah. So how can people connect with you, Tim? So obviously you've, there's a lot of, you've got a lot of things that are coming up for you. So how can people find out about that, like through Facebook, through Instagram, Twitter? How can people donate? And if they can't donate money, how else can they help How you? can they be involved with TLC? Yeah, we have ways for people to either advocate, donate, partner, uh, or even just, I suppose, share the, share the work that we're doing. Uh, online's probably the best place for people to be involved, which is tlcforkids.org.au, and we've got all of our social links as well. But we're always really big fans, and I know I touched on this earlier, but how time-poor people are. Yeah. Um, so we try and do things that make it quite engaging for people, but also really respectful for them. So if people want to become advocates for what we're doing, it could be a simple way of saying, hey, I've heard of this fantastic charity, check them out. Even if they're not putting their own hand in their pocket, right. um, every time someone talks about TLC for kids, and even this, this interview, this is absolutely fantastic because it's raising awareness about what we're doing. Yeah. But it also might be that, well, again, some of them might not be able to make a donation, but they may have a service that they provide that we can utilise either for our family right. or they might be able to say, look, you know, we sell um, or we have accommodation, so we might put a dollar for everybody's stay onto the bill and then that money can come back to TLC for kids. So what we're, we're always open it. Yeah. yeah, quite, um, we're always looking for innovative ways on how to engage people, but also to have a little bit of fun with it as well and so they don't feel pressured. 
Yeah. So it's very important for getting involved with the charity. Um, that number one, you, you know what they do. You know where the money goes. Uh, but also, you, you generally want to be involved. And it shouldn't be a need to, it should be a want to. Yeah, which is a nice way to have it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's long term. We've got some of our supporters have been with us for um, 19 years. Wow, that's a long time, yeah. They want to stay by our side and, and help us reach even more kids. So it's uh, a great journey. It's family. Yeah. Just give a family. I think that speaks volumes for the way that you've set up, set up your charity and the way that your, you know, your donors and supporters have actually stuck with you over that period of time. It speaks volumes for who you are and the, and the team that you've developed. So well done. Thank you so much. Absolutely fantastic. Six million children, absolutely fantastic. And ongoing projects. Yeah. Ongoing projects, yes. We've got a lot more to do. <laughs> All right. So um, we've come to the end of the show. It's been an absolute honour to have you on and your work. I knew you were going to be something special when I knew you back then. And you have. I mean, helping <laughs> six million children, absolutely amazing. Well, thank you, Kat. That and counting. It really does. And I'm, I'm such a, a lucky guy. And I know I say it all the time, they've got the best job in the world and uh, one of the best lives to be able to, to do what we do. But also, you know, even people like yourselves, they get to talk to um, amazing people, share the story and just live life. And, you know, I'm extremely grateful for it. So thank you so much for this. Well, thank you yeah, so much for coming welcome. on our show. We're so honoured to have you on here. And hopefully we can raise the awareness for TLC for kids just that little bit more. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Kat, so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. So that's uh, Tim Canola from TLC, Tender Loving Care for Kids. Thanks, Tim. See you later. Well, there we go. We've wrapped up another podcast. Thank you for staying with us. And for if you're a new person coming in to listen to a new listener, thank you for joining us here at the Leadership Sensei Radio. If you're a repeat listener, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for joining us again. And I hope you got great value once again from it. And also, I'd like to say, again, thank you to my listeners all around the world. You make a big difference. It makes it really meaningful for me to know that there are actually people tuning in and listening. If I can ask you to please subscribe on whatever platform that might be, whether it be iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher, whatever platform that you're listening to this on. If you haven't joined me or joined our community at on Facebook, please also do that. You can find me at The Leadership Sensei on Facebook. Most days I do have a short video going up and I do put other content up there at various times as well. So thank you again. Have a great week. I'll see you next time.